Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Owning Your Authenticity with me, Diana Terry. Um, this week, we're doing something a little bit different. Um, I'm going to talk about some books that shifted my life. And I purposely chose the word shifted instead of changed because so often people say, oh, this book changed my life, but then they don't do any actionable change that they learned from the book. Um, and so I want to bring to light some books that actually helped me shift in the way that I speak, the words that I choose, the things that I do, my understanding of the world around me and things like that. Um, and then also I just, I have some other things that I want to do some podcast episodes on, but I'm still kind of working on how to put those together or working through some stuff that I haven't completely finished my internal work on yet. Um, and I'm just not ready to share it yet. So, um, I always come back to books though. I always come back to books. Let's dive in this week. I'm so excited to share with you three books that really shifted my life. So let's get going. Hey everyone, welcome to Owning Your Authenticity with me, Diana Terry. This podcast is all about breaking down the stereotypes we were raised with to create our real authentic life. We talk about every kind of relationship, life and business, creating worthy routines, setting boundaries, and leaning into that little voice that says, you are meant for more. If you've checked off all the boxes of what you were supposed to do, and you still feel like it's not right or not enough, then this podcast is for you. I know that your time is super valuable, so thank you for joining me, and let's get started. I'm going to start off with one of my, I will say, one of my favorite books of all time. Um, and I did not know who this person was at all before I had read this book. I had never heard of her. You will probably recognize her name now because her name is Glennon Doyle. And she published, well, she had published two books previous to this one, but she published this book called Untamed in, I believe, April of 2020 and May 2020, something around there, which of course was probably the best timing of anything that has ever happened because we literally were going into a pandemic or had just gotten into the pandemic. And this book speaks to so many different people. Even if you connect with one of the small stories in there, it speaks to, I think it can speak to everyone in some way or another. Um, so this book is basically kind of a collection of stories. And her author's note reads, for every woman resurrecting herself for the girls who will never be buried. Mostly for Tish, which is her daughter. Um, this book is something that came to me when I was in the midst of going through immense personal change. Um, I mean, everybody during the pandemic, obviously, was dealing with so much. I was dealing with some things on top of the pandemic that weren't pandemic things, but they came to light because we were all forced to sit home with our feelings and whatever goes in our mind, and we couldn't go out and distract ourselves from those things. So um, oh, first off, this book helped me parent better. It helped me shift the way I explain things and present things to my kids one quote that I got from this book is that we can do hard things, which now Glennon Doyle actually has a podcast called We Can Do Hard Things. And I say that to my kids constantly when they were frustrated at the beginning of the pandemic with trying to use computers or 
trying to stay on schedule but still be at home, not understanding why they had to change out of pajamas and get ready for the day. All I said to them constantly was, we can do hard things. Yes, this is hard, but we can do hard things. So I'm just going to read one por- a few portions of this book that really connected with me. There's a story in the prologue about her taking her kids to see a cheetah at a zoo. And uh, they do the cheetah run and they display how fast she is. And, you know, the zookeeper explains that this cheetah, Tabitha, was born and raised in captivity. And there's this moment that she sees the cheetah, Tabitha, like after she's done her run and impressed everybody, standing there in the field, looking around, looking regal, looking, you know, different. And her daughter makes a comment of like, oh, she turned wild again. And Glennon goes through this idea of if she could ask Tabitha, this cheetah, like what happened, what's happening inside of you right now, this moment when she looks different. And she imagined that the cheetah would say something's off about my life. I feel restless and frustrated. I have this hunch that everything was supposed to be more beautiful than this. I imagine fenceless, wide open savannas. I want to run and hunt and kill. I want to sleep under an ink black, silent sky filled with the stars. It's all so real. I can taste it. And then the cheetah would look back at the cage and and say to herself, oh, I should be grateful. I have a good enough life here. It's crazy to long for what doesn't even exist. And Glennon says that to her, she would say, Tabitha, you're not crazy. You're a goddamn cheetah. And reading that line of the whole, like, everything was supposed to be more beautiful than this, that's kind of the feeling that got me thinking that this podcast is what I needed to do, is that everything's supposed to be a little bit bigger than this. Everything's supposed to be a little bit more. And that's not to say that I wasn't, you know, I had found my person. I, you know, I have my two kids. I have this beautiful life. I should be grateful, right? But choosing to be grateful in the things that are just okay prevents us from living like a goddamn cheetah, and we all deserve to do so. And I honestly, this whole entire book is just full of tidbits. She talks about, you know, being a woman and women breaking through what society has deemed us what we are supposed to be. And like this one quote says, what we need are women who are full of themselves. A woman who's full of herself knows and trusts herself enough to say and do what must be done. She lets the rest burn. We are we are raised as women to so quickly make ourselves smaller so that others can feel bigger and to do the right thing, not the thing that sets us on fire and to comply and to fit a role that was given to us instead of write our own roles. And this book was such a huge momentous part of me shifting that mindset. Um, Another part of this book that really, really resonated with me also because we were um, talking a lot with my daughter, you know, and I want my daughter to be more confident than I was. I struggled with confidence. I struggled with feeling like I was allowed to say something. And she talks about this conversation she had with her daughter and, you know, helping her to be strong in her opinions and things like that. And she goes through this part and she says, every time you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. And her daughter goes, even you? And she says, especially me. 
And I literally had that same exact conversation with my daughter because our kids are so, especially being home with us through a pandemic, you know, before they went back to school, we're the ones that they have to not only, they have to look good and do the right thing at school, but now their school teacher is me as well. So now it's their mom and their teacher and all of everything was their parents. And I think it was so easy for kids to get wrapped up in like, oh, well, now I I can't let anyone down, you know, especially during pandemic because now my mom sees everything I do. And uh, it was just, it was so hard. And I constantly say that to my daughter. It is your job to disappoint me if it means being true to yourself. And so that's something I'm trying to really emulate in her. And as she gets older, I will probably have her read this book. Um, And before I get to the last one, there's um, this other part of the book. If you look up Glennon Doyle, which you absolutely should follow her on Instagram, whatever, she is a lesbian woman married to her wife, Abby Wambach. Um, And when I was going through some of the struggles of myself coming out and falling in love with a woman and publicly and like completely being with this person because that is my person, you know, you get feedback from people, whether you've asked for it or not. People have their opinions of your life. But there was a moment or a part of this book that resonated with me in a moment that was really powerful in my life. And it talks about, you know, her struggling with people having a hard time with her loving Abby and out of their concern or whatever they chose to frame it as, you know, saying, oh, well, I'm not sure this is a good idea or how is this going to affect your children or things like that. And she talks about a conversation with Abby where Abby says, no, you know, like you have to imagine it like an island. This is our love island. And we get to choose. We are the ones in charge of who comes into our island. Our island is me, you and the kids. And you get to choose who comes in. You get to choose what to leave out. So no fear comes in. No fear goes out. Only love comes in and only love comes out of this island is what Abby says to her. And you have to read the whole chapter. But there's a point where it explains to you as a woman becomes a responsible parent when she stops being an obedient daughter. That's a quote from the book. And it's when you finally understand that I get to decide how to parent. I get to decide what from my experience as a child I keep. What was good? What what good things did I learn? And then all the other shit, you just leave. You get to make that choice. It's no longer my job to be an obedient daughter because that usually comes with the side effect of preventing me from being the best parent that I know how to be. And I'm a firm believer in all of us parents are just figuring it out. No one knows exactly what they're doing. If they tell you they know everything about parenting, they're flat out lying. And I tell my kids this because I had a hard time growing up where I thought that my parents knew everything. They just knew how to do everything. There was never, you know, any big conversations of like stress or I don't know how to handle this. Those were done in private. They weren't done in front of me. So you grow up thinking adults know everything. Then you grow up and to become an adult and you have kids and you're like, oh my God, how come no one told me that everybody is just freaking lost? Everybody is figuring it out for the first time. I told my daughter that. I said, listen, this is your first time being a seven-year-old. It's my first time being a mother with a seven-year-old. 
we are going to figure it out together. Do I have more experience in life than you? Yes. Those are the things that help me make decisions. Am I able to read more books and understand some bigger things that help me make decisions as a parent? Yes. And that's why, you know, you need to listen to mommy. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm figuring it out. And if I am hurting you or failing you in some way that I don't see, please tell me so I can figure out how to do it better. I am not superwoman. I don't want my kids to think that I am. I want my kids to think that I am human. I want my kids to think that I will always try my best. I want my kids to know that I will not always be perfect, but I will always talk to them. I will always communicate. I will always learn from my mistakes and I will always try to do better. I mean, that's what I want. That's what I'm teaching them. That's what I was verbally taught to do. Always do your best. Always do, you know, the most you can put in the most effort. But never was I taught that that might not be right, that you might have to shift your path or learn a hard lesson and then take that and use it to do better next time. There wasn't that next step. So I just, this book really was altering for me. And because we read it in 2020, she does talk about a lot of different things. And there's just one more quote that actually is going to lead us into my next book. This quote in the chapter called Streams, um, you know, she talks about racism and she talks about a lot of other subjects. And this quote says, every philanthropist, if she is paying attention, eventually becomes an activist. If we do not, we risk becoming codependent with power, saving the system vic- system's victims while the system collects the profits, then pats us on the head for our service. We become injustice's foot soldiers. And reading this book at the beginning of the pandemic and all of the injustices happening in the world um, brought so much light to racism and its role and complete ingrainment in the fabric of our society and our systems to light for a lot of people that didn't know that. I was one of those people that didn't know that. I was raised that we're not a racist family because we don't say racist things. And so the next book that I want to talk about is the book called White Fragility. It's written by Robin D'Angelo. I think it was published in 2018. Um, And this is the first book I read when I started to do my own work about racism and what it means to be a white woman and how, whether I think I'm a racist or not, if I'm complicit in the things that are innately racist, then that's racism. And you have to actively choose to be an anti-racist. And this book was so powerful in explaining to me that it's my job to do the work. It's my job to understand what I've done in the past that is racist, the actions I take, the things that I do, the, the privilege that I get on a daily basis by existing the way that I look. It's my job to research that. It's my job to learn where I've been wrong and society is messed up and things like that. So there's a few quotes throughout this book um, that I think are really powerful. I mean, the entire book is powerful and I really implore anybody who is white to read this book and just have a better understanding of the privileges that we've been given and how they came to be. Um, This one, this one quote says through or though white fragility is triggered by discomfort and anxiety, it is born out of superiority and entitlement. 
And that simple quote just kind of makes you understand like we have the freedom to be or we have the privilege, not the freedom. We have the privilege to be triggered and uncomfortable. And because of the innately racist culture and society that we live in, we're allowed to sit in that and just be uncomfortable while other people don't have those freedoms. They don't have the freedom to feel that way and feel safe to feel that way. Um, And this quote right here that says, racism is deeply embedded in the fabric of our society. It is not limited to a single action or person, nor does it move back and forth, one day benefiting whites and another day or even era benefiting people of color. Now, for me personally, I was not a good student, really, to be honest, when I was in school. I was not good at history or even remembering. I don't remember a lot of the stuff I learned in school. It didn't stick with me, um, history being a main one. And so now, as I've done more and more work on my innate racism and what it means to be a white woman, you have to understand that it's it's everywhere, it's in everything that we do. It's in our justice system. It's in it's in everything because that's the way that this country was founded. This country was founded based on the, you know, they said based on the belief that all people are equal while they came in and, you know, massacred a group of people and stole their land. So um, it also goes on to talk about how... Um, this expectation that people of color should be teaching white people about racism is another aspect of racism. And that puts on people of color to do our work. It disregards how often people of color have indeed tried to tell us what racism is like for them and how often they've been dismissed. It's a wake up call for anybody who is a white person living in a culture built for us not for others, for us. Um, Another really powerful quote that I got from here, or I mean the whole book again, is that a racism-free upbringing is not possible because racism is a social system embedded in the culture and its institutions. We are born into the system and have no say in whether or not we'll be affected by it. And it's things like this that make you understand. And then as you read it, there's so much more factual information. There's, there's, um, resources to go to after this book and things like that. I, I implore anyone else to read it. But to understand that there's no neutrality in racism. You can't be neutral in it. You either are you or you're against it. You're for it or against it. It's not something you can be ne- You can be neutral on pancakes. Yeah, I don't love them. I don't hate them. You can be neutral on pancakes. You can be neutral on what you like to watch on TV. There's no neutrality in racism. And when we were out doing BLM protests, that's what we had our sign on. That's what our sign said, because it's true. And I didn't understand that until I read this book. And then after reading this book, you know, one of the most powerful things I can do as a white parent is to teach the next generation how to be an ally. You know, our kids already are an ally for having lesbian parents. They understand what LGBTQIA means. They understand what all the letters mean. And they understand that their role in that community is they are allies unless they discover as they get older that they're a different part of our community. But as of right now, they're allies and they understand that. And so when I was researching ways to teach them better, to teach them to be allies for the black indigenous people of color communities, I came upon a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist Family by Martin, I'm going to butcher this, Sikat, Sekat, 
I'm not sure. I apologize. Um, but what it is, it's 25 inspiring tales about racism to be read together with your kids. So they're fictional stories. They're two to three pages long. And they're very relatable. My kids are in second and fourth grade. Um, and so, you know, we go through and we read this story and then we have a conversation. What did you see in this story? What, you know, where do you think racism was in the story? And they talk about it. And then we point out the things that maybe they didn't see or understand or were um, more situational or based or less overt. And I remember one time my daughter was crying and she was like, I'm like, I, I hate that I'm white. And I said, baby, it's not your job to hate that you're white. You can't change the fact that you're white, much like someone else can't change the fact that they're black. But what you can do is be educated. What you can do is stand up for injustices when you see them and not be a silent participant. What you can do is work to change the things that you see that are wrong. What you can do is help somebody else when they need it. What you can do is live your life in a way that you are someone that people in those underserved communities, people that receive racism, can trust. You can be a trusted person for them so they know that they're safe around you and that you're not someone that's perpetuating racism and that you are someone that is fighting against it. That's what you can do. So as we get older, we're going to learn constantly to recognize it, number one, and to say something when you do. That's, that's what you can do. Um, so obviously that's a little bit of a heavier subject, but I think those things are so valuable and so important to do. It's, you know, when you talk about your personal self care plan, like we talked about in the last episode, all of that comes together to try and understand who you want to be, who you're choosing to be. And we live in a society where you have to make this choice as well. You can also, you can choose to be a fitness model. You can choose to be a stay-at-home mom. You can choose to be an executive. You can also choose to be an anti-racist. Um, and that's a big part of understanding ourselves and our authenticity is understanding our role in the society that we live in. Um, moving on to the next book is The One Thing by Gary Keller. Um, it's with Jay Papasan, I believe is how it's pronounced. I love this book. It was written and published in 2012. And I mean, the number one basis of the book is what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. So this book, this book spoke to me, but it also attacked me because <laughs> I used to be a serial multitasker. I was so proud of the fact that I could do 17 things at once and I could, you know, listen to a podcast while doing the dishes, while cooking dinner, while um, helping the kids with the project, while I mean, it's baffling to think that I <laughs> felt so proud of these things, um, especially at work. I was a restaurant manager for a long time and you think that being able to multitask is such a big like bravo pat on the back makes you the best employee. But the truth of the matter is you end up working longer doing less. You end up working more hours being less productive because you can't just focus on one thing. Um, and this book is also filled with so many just research-based facts that help you understand. Um, like this one says, researchers estimate that workers are interrupted every 11 minutes and then spend almost a third of their day recovering from these distractions. I read that and was like, oh my gosh, 
I could have saved three hours a day out of my 12 hour shifts, four hours a day. Had I just been able to understand how to work on the one thing first and then let it all go after that. I also have this conversation with my kids because I work from home. I mean, I have a couple jobs, but because, you know, my business is self-run. I work for myself. So to work in an office where the kids just have to knock, knock, and then I'm interrupted again. I explained to my daughter, I said, every time you interrupt mommy, you may only have a 30 second conversation with me, but it takes me five to seven minutes to get back on track to where I was before you interrupted me. So if you interrupt me 10 times and it takes me five minutes to get back on track, you've taken almost an hour of my time where had I not been interrupted, I could have probably finished what I was doing and then been fully present for you. So simple things like that have been great, not only in business, but in helping parent and everything else. And another concept that I really benefited from in this book is um, the understanding that willpower is not something you can just muster up. I know I think I've said this before in one of the other podcasts, but willpower, this is the quote, says willpower has a limited battery life but can be recharged with some downtime. Willpower is limited. Limited. So you need to take The one thing, the one most important thing that if you did that would make everything else easier and then take it and do that one thing at the beginning of your willpower. Like when your bank is full, that's when you need to do it. And that will help you understand the value in focusing on the one thing. Um, I think it said there was another quote in here. I don't think I highlighted it, but it said like in order to go big, you need to go small, something along those lines. Because if you have these big audacious dreams in order to get them, you need to whittle it down to the one thing that you need to do right now that will perpetuate and propel that dream. Um, And this book goes into so many other things. Um, Another thing that this book talks about is balance. And again, this word is means so many things to so many different people. In my last podcast, I talked about how balance does not mean everything being equal. Balance means you give what you give to the thing that matters the most in that time and then everything else kind of counterweights it. So a quote from this says, counterbalancing done well gives the illusion of balance. So if I'm sitting here going, I have a huge project that is due in three months. I need to spend more time on that project than other things right now. So that doesn't mean I don't meditate. It doesn't mean I I don't read or, you know, do the things that make me feel enough, the things that will fuel my motivation and fuel my willpower. My sleep will fuel my willpower. Eating healthy, going to the gym, these things all fuel my willpower because they fill me up again and give me the energy to focus on my one thing. But if I have a three-month project that is huge, yeah, other things are going to fall off. My social life, I don't get to go out for happy hour on Friday. I don't get to leisurely watch Netflix for an hour and a half on a Wednesday afternoon because that's the day the kids go to their dads. I don't get to do those things because I need to counterbalance myself to get the one thing done to perpetuate my life moving forward. Um, And there's just, I mean, this whole entire book is literally nuggets of information based on fact and understanding. And um, it also talks to the reason that I'm having this podcast today and 
not one of the other ones. And this quote says, we become masters of what is behind us and apprentices for what is ahead. The reason I'm able to get past my imposter syndrome and have this podcast is because I know that what I've done in the past, I've already done. I've done that. I've survived it. I've gotten to here. I'm sharing with you the ways that I did it, the tools that I used, how I got from A to B. That doesn't mean I'm at from B to C. So I'm still learning about what I'm going through in the future. I'm still learning to get to that next step. And once I've gotten to that next step, then I can share what I've learned with you. Um, And the last one that I want to mention about this book before you go and read it yourself, because you absolutely should, is it says no one succeeds alone and no one fails alone. So pay attention to the people around you. And that's a conversation in nearly every personal growth, self-help book anyone says is look at your circle. If you are surrounded by people that don't inspire you to go farther, or if you're surrounded by people who are telling you that you won't be able to do that, you will fail, that it's too big a goal, too big a dream, that you should just stay here where you're at, that you should just stay where you're comfortable, you've got the wrong circle. And if you only surround yourself with those people, they'll probably end up being right. So that doesn't mean you have to cut out everyone in your life that doesn't work for you. But it does give you the power to understand and set some boundaries, which actually leads me into my next book, which is kind of like a little bonus book I want to talk about. It's from Dave Hollis. It's called Get Out of Your Own Way. Um, It's his first book that he wrote. And the reason I like this book is because it's written from a skeptic's point of view. So I am not a skeptic of personal growth, obviously. I am not a skeptic of self-help. I love it. I would rather call myself a self-help junkie than anything else. I mean, those words alone have other impacts in the fact that it's very easy to get stuck in the learn, learn, learn phase and not put yourself in the action phase, which is a whole other podcast in itself. But this book starts off with a really honest story about what it means to have plenty and be miserable to um, understand that there's a lot more to what you have. There can be a lot more to where you're going. And his stories about how he got here when he was a complete skeptic to what self-help is or personal growth or self-education, they're very raw and they're very real and I really appreciate them. Um, One thing, one quote I want to read, it says, You can find things short term to make you happy, but if you want to truly be fulfilled, you need to be growing. And in order to grow, you need to put in the time, do the work and learn to kick the lies, putting putting limits on who and what you can be. So that alone just speaks to this podcast. That alone speaks to why we're here. Owning your authenticity, you know, just in our intro, we talk about if you've done everything you're supposed to do. And you're where you were told you were supposed to go. And you're like, this is not it. That is a lie. That is a limiting belief that you are supposed to get there and be done. Because if you don't keep growing, what is the point? You're just going to exist over and over in the same perpetual like Groundhog Day. This book goes into a lot. Um, I like the way it's formatted because the the chapters start with the lie that he was told or that he believed. And then they go into how he saw through that lie, what he learned from it, and things that helped him to do so. Um, So some of the chapters are, my work is who I am. That's a big one for me. Um, I have to get it all together. I did something wrong, so I am something wrong. I mean, all of these lies that we all kind of grow up, failure means you're weak. It's my job to protect them from problems. Talking about, 
It's my job to protect other people, my kids, my family from issues. Um, it's a lot. And it's very, very honest. Um, and it's about you being honest with yourself regarding all of these things. One of the things that I like that he brings light to is in the chapter about my work is who I am. I, I dealt with that for a long time. You know, oh, what do you do? I was so proud of the fact that I had been in restaurants for so long. I had, you know, had these great jobs and, um, you know, a lot of people depended on me and I loved that. But at the same time, there was something missing in me. I worked so much that I didn't notice it was missing. And um, I remember when I first became a stay-at-home mom, I spent one year as a stay-at-home mom and I was married at the time. And I told my husband at the time, I said, here's the thing. I am used to getting personal satisfaction from doing a good job at work. I am used to hitting a sales goal. I am used to killing it at an event. I am used to having a successful shift, whatever. I, you know, I was able to lay goals, have recognizable, measurable standards and achieve them and then have that satisfaction, satisfaction. So if I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom and that is my job, it is your job to give me that satisfaction when the house is beautiful, when I've done a great job with the kids. You have to give that to me if this is going to be my job. Obviously, we are no longer married. <laughs> That's a whole different situation. That's not why we got divorced. But, um, you know, it's just understanding I was defining myself by these highs I got from achieving a goal. But whether I was a stay-at-home mom or the GM of a restaurant or working for a restaurant group in L.A., None of that was enough. Like it wasn't enough. And this line that Dave Hollis writes says, I am defined by my impact. Now that, that resonates. That makes sense. That is what drives me to show up for this podcast every week. That is what drives me to take better care of myself. That is what drives me to connect with my children, to be in a, a great partner. That, my impact on the people around me. I get to choose that impact. I get to choose whether or not I spend the day watching Netflix and don't impact anyone positively or whether I get up, go to the gym and I cook dinner and we all have a conversation around the table. I get to choose what impact I have on my kids, on my partner. I get to choose how well I show up. And when you shift to having it not be controlled by some other outside factor when it's I you know I decide how hard I work to create an impact for other people then you get to control how that those feelings of worth those feelings of I'm doing something right I'm going in the right direction I'm doing the right thing and this last quote I want to bring up there's this part in the conclusion of the book it talks about change and it says no matter what you do change is coming because change is a guarantee that's a great quote. And, you know, a guarantee, there are so many things that are not guaranteed, but change is guaranteed. Like that's going to happen no matter what. And then he goes on to say, your life is going to be different no matter what. So you might as well make it different in a way that serves you and those around you. Since you can't keep change from happening, embrace it. Be more intentional with how you shape it and see the differences that come as the good product of planning, discipline, and knowing where you're headed. I mean, if that's the conclusion, that's literally the last part of the book is the last page. You got to read this book. I love this book. Um, I'm going to put links to all the books in the show notes for everyone. Um, 
I always encourage you to buy from a local shop if possible. Um, if not possible, I will put links to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, but I just want to say, you know, when it comes to reading, I've always been a reader. I know there's a lot of people that aren't. Um, when it comes to reading, reading can give you something that music or other forms of like your own, I don't know what the word is, engagement can give you. Reading has opportunity. You can read for so many different reasons. You can read to relax. So when I read to relax, I, I mostly read 90% of the books I own are nonfiction. But every once in a while, if I'm going on vacation or I'm like, my brain hurts, I've been working a lot, I just want to read to relax. I read Janet Ivanovich. She has a series with a character called Stephanie Plum, who is a like bra salesman turns bounty hunter and she's funny and she gets into all these quirk. I don't care. I can read a whole book in like five hours and it's great because I read it. I don't have to think about it. It's funny. I laugh. I engage. It's wonderful. And then when I want to read to understand, I go to my 90% of my other books. I go to personal growth. I read nonfiction. I go to the self-help section. I read people like Dave Hollis, Jay Shetty, um, Glennon Doyle. She's, you know, these people that inspire me because they're doing authentic things with their life. I love to read their words. I love to read the hacks of how they got there, the work, how long it took. It makes everything a little more real for me. But then you can also read to explore. Um, you know, you can read historical fiction if that's a fun way to get your brain somewhere else. You can read memoirs and live lives through other people and understand where people have been and walk in their shoes. And books are just so, so powerful. And for us, I mean, I, I could spend all of my money on books. When Amanda and I want to go on a date, you know, and we don't want to go sit at a restaurant, we will go grab a glass of wine and then we will walk through Barnes and Noble for an hour and a half. And that's our date. <laughs> that's our entire date. And it's awesome. So I would like to hear what kind of books y'all are reading. What what books have shifted your mindset, have shifted your view? Um, so if you want to share your books with me, post them on Instagram and use the hashtag OYA Bookshift. That's Owning Your Authenticity, OYA Bookshift. Um, I would love to see them. I, I, I want to know what you're reading. I would love to get book recommendations. Um, and then again, obviously, if you liked this podcast, please feel free to screenshot and share. Tag us at Owning Your Authenticity on Facebook and Instagram. And then we are actually starting an email list. So if you'd like to join our email list, you'll get a weekly email um, when the podcast comes out every Tuesday. It's not going to be overwhelming. It's just going to be kind of short and sweet, a little understanding of what we're doing, but some really fun content, um, you know, some fun motivation for you. And it would just be great to connect with everyone. So go over to our website at owningyourauthenticity.com. You can sign up for our email list there. And you can also send us a message if you have anything you want me to talk about, or if you are interested in being on the podcast, we'd love to connect. And I really just wish y'all a great day. I hope you get some time to read this week. And thank you again for joining me.